Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. Then he was in forensics. Then he was a New South Wales firefighter. This season of Loose Units is called Hot Stuff Coming Through. And apart from having an incredibly cool and stupid name, it's going to reveal the untold side of being a firefighter in Australia. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Loose Units Hot Stuff Coming Through. I'm Paul Verhoeven, and sitting across from me is my ex-firefighter dad, John Verhoeven. Now, we've gotten loads and loads of feedback from all of you listeners, and you're really enjoying the fact that you're finding out what it was like to join the join the fire brigade. But, Dad, one thing I would like to find out is, you know, what it's actually like to deal with a weird case. Because one of the trademarks of loose units is strange cases. Mm. Now, as a firefighter, did you see strange things? Oh, incredibly bizarre. Do you have anything, um, you know, on the menu for this episode? Well, I do, but that's sort of a few years and... Well, not years, but, I mean, there are so many stories. I mean, there are so many, many stories. Mm. But, I mean... Should I perhaps tantalise the listener with a completely depressing story? Well, but it's a sweet, poignant story too. Sure, depressing and poignant. Hmm. But I I mean, I think what we should do is we can keep moving forward chronologically and finding out what it was like. But but I don't mind you jumping ahead and giving everyone a bit of a taste of some of the weird shit that's Mm. coming up. Okay, well, this is a pretty weird story. Okay. Um, Would you like me to tell you? Yeah. (laughs) Right now. Is the Pope shit in the woods? Probably not. Are there any woods near Vatican City? Mm. Probably full of the Swiss Guard perverts. Paul, um, I, when I was a very junior fireman... Now, for my age, I was, well, you know, getting close to 30. In mm. fact, shit, I was 30. Yeah, wow. Interesting. I was just, I'd just turned 30. Right. I, I used to love going to work. Um, I worked at a district station, which meant you, you know, you had lots and lots of duties. But you used to get called to the big things, so... We had standard, uh, they were international, that's a brand, brand of truck, international appliances at mm. most of the stations, but at at Crow's Nest, we had what was called a super pumper. And that sounds very sexual, doesn't it? Well, like you... a, not, just a, not just a pumper. I mean, the whole, that whole word, pumper, conjures. Conjures or conjures? Conjures. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> it conjures up, um, you know, many things. But we had this appliance at Crow's Nest, the super pumper, and the reason it was such a massive appliance 
was so it could pump into aerial platforms. Oh, all right, okay. All right? So, oh, so last episode you mentioned that there were, uh, you know, basically formula needed to figure out how to... The pressure of water pressure, getting yeah. up several stories. Yeah, yeah. Now, the super pumper... Was, was, it could pump into a platform, mm. an aerial appliance, which could be working at 10 stories. When you say aerial appliance, what do you mean? Ladders, platforms, these things that rescue people from massively tall buildings. So the first time you saw that fire from your spot on high watching that church burn... I was watching platforms and ladders. Great, okay. And that inspired me. And I ended up at a station, Crow's Nest, mm. where we had all those appliances there. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. But I thought, you know what? I love the listeners. This is week three. Mm. And you intimated that I should perhaps tell them something. Well, something. I mean, you know, I, my, my thought was that we'd just go through this chronological thing of 10 years. and I don't mind when, No, 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 but I agree with you. I think it's nice to, not a teaser, but to sort of let's get into some of the stories. Well, one of the reasons I was um, excited about this is because I've just handed in the first draft of uh, Electric Blue, which is the sequel to Loose Units. So right now, the editors at Penguin are sifting through, you know, 300-odd pages of very odd pages Mm. and one of the things about the Loose Units brand is a lot of your stories are extremely distinct Mm. extremely strange Mm. and because we've been going through you know the how-to's I just thought listeners would appreciate you know even if we flash forward just for one episode be be a bit cheeky yeah cool yeah okay Uh, here's a story you recall we used to live in Darley Road Manly I do yes and directly opposite where we lived Mm -hmm. was a very unusual block of units it um, was unusual in that it looked like a tall rectangular prism, which, funnily enough, pretty well every building looks like. Sure. But this one had a like a sort of a like a weird. It was like the letter H, so you couldn't actually see inside the H from the road. Uh huh. But what Wait, uppercase or lowercase? Uh, uppercase. <laughs> what happened was um, I was very very. Er- it was very early on in my career. Mm. We uh, got a call to a building where allegedly. Someone had fallen. I'll never ever forget this. It was um, it was winter. It was probably about five thirty, quarter to six. So it was getting dark. Oh, at night. And we weren't living in Manly. We'd never lived in Manly. Sure. So, but um, you know, on this particular uh, evening, just just quickly, Dad, what was your position? I was the, I was you know the junior guy. And what is the ju- what back you- of the back of the pump? So there are two guys that work on the back. Yep. There's the driver, but there was no water required. The station officer was doing what he did and he directed that we get this uh, directed that we get this big ladder yeah. it was like an 11 or 12 meter extension ladder and it's really heavy and, we, and, and you've really got to sort of work as a team to get this thing off because it's right at the top of the engine and it's locked in and, and it's and it's potentially dangerous as you as you remove it mm. and you're sort of you're, low, you're sort of raising it sort of your hands are well above your head and you're sort of feeding sort it of feeding it off and then and then you then go to the location but we didn't know what we didn't know what we had mm. And um, we set the ladder up. <clears throat> now, you, with, when you ever, whenever you set a ladder up, you've always got one guy foots the ladder, which means he or she stays at the bottom of the ladder. They stand there with one foot on the bottom rung, and they kind of hold it, steady it, uh-huh. because you always need two people when operating a ladder. Then I climbed the ladder, and I climbed up onto this ledge. And um, how many stories up was this? Maybe two stories. Okay. <clears throat> we had no idea what what we were going to come across, or what I was going to come across. So, what was the call? Um, just allegedly the person had fallen off, off, surely, off surely the building. That's, but isn't that a police job? Yeah, but they couldn't get to him. Oh. No one could get to this guy. You couldn't see. The, you couldn't see. There was no way of seeing. How odd. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, got the ladders and up I went. And as I'm sort of climbing up the ladder with a degree of sort of trepidation, um, I got up onto this ledge and sure enough there was this, um, there was this um, young Japanese guy who had no shirt on. He was dead. 
he was completely uh, dead. And I looked down at him, <clears throat> and he looked very serene. Now, here's the weird part of the story that is actually quite surreal. He had a um, St. Christopher medal that was not attached to anything that was sitting perfectly on his chest. I'm sort of looking and thinking, how on earth did this medal get there? There's no sign of a chain. And I'm looking around. Anyway, I had to sit with that guy for some time, just him and me, which was really, really... I mean, I'd had a lot to do with dead people, but it was weird sitting. And I had to try and explain to my colleagues, um, you know, what was happening. And the station officer said, look, you stay up there until um, we organise to get get him off, off this ledge. Anyway, while I was sitting there trying to figure out this medal, this window opened and there was this Irish um, backpacker and he he could just stick his head through this little window and he said to me, oh, I put that medal on the guy's chest. I sort of... He threw it down and it landed perfectly on his chest. What? Mm, this, this Irish backpacker had this religious medal and he felt so sad for this deceased Japanese young guy. Now, it turns out... He knew this particular Japanese guy. He felt that if he could somehow flick this medal and it would land on him, he'd, you know, you know, he just felt that it was sort of, sort of a, uh, like a blessing or something. Right. So that was all a bit surreal. And then I got talking to this guy, which was nice having someone for me to talk to while I was up there with this, sitting with this, this poor dead Japanese guy whose injuries, might I add, were pretty, pretty fucked up. What happened? You recall what happens when what happened? Well, to you, you remember that story with the cat burglar that landed. Yes. Well, it was similar to that. I'm just asking. So his face basically looked like a pizza supreme. Okay. So I think okay. that's, that's fairly graphic. Sure. But then here's the sad, as if this story's not pretty fucked up. I mean, it was really weird and fucked up, but probably good that I was the fireman that was actually doing that because I'd done that sort of stuff before. Then this young Irish guy told me that he was out here surfing. As a lot of Japanese come out here and they absolutely love the culture and you, you see them and they're really tanned and they just love the... You know, this Australian, the whole, I guess, well, we've been to Japan. You've been to Japan, and you know how it's all very orderly and, you know... It's one of my favourite countries. It's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. but, the, but it's sort of somewhat regimented. Mm. You know, when they come out here and, and they experience this, this bliss and this freedom, and what happened was he came from a very wealthy family, and his father said it was time to come back, and he didn't want to. Oh. And he jumped out of the building, killed himself. Isn't that... That's pretty sad. Did the Irish guy, was he the one who made the call? Oh, uh, yeah, he called. So he sees a guy he knows who's killed himself, throws a religious medal on his chest to help him, you know, usher him into the underworld or whatever, mm, mm. the afterlife, and then he calls you and, you know, you, mm. you head along. Mm. Was it weird? I mean, look, you're in the fire brigade. I assume you were there to put out fires. Oh, we do a lot of rescue work as well. Yeah, I was going to ask. And you attend a lot of suicides. Really? A lot, particularly in Manly. We used to... Well, I'm jumping ahead, really, because I, I worked at um, Crow's Nest to start with, mm. where we had lots and lots of, you know, things happen there that were incredible, some of the stories. Well, do you remember the first, you know, case you were involved in at Crow's Nest mm. that involved fire? Yeah, oh, definitely. Now, I was thinking about this particular story um, just a few days ago, and it's one of those stories where you look back, and again, like a lot of the police stories, you just start thinking, yeah, did that really happen? Because right. it's so bizarre. Right. But... At North Sydney, you've got an incredible number of skyscrapers. Mm -hmm. And during winter, the big air conditioning units give off steam at night time. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, and it looks as though, it can look as though there's fire, smoke coming from these buildings. And quite often, we used to get calls to these buildings 
um, from someone driving past going, oh, there's a, there's a building alight, because it really looks like smoke, mm. but it's not. So one evening it would have been, let me think about this, it was probably one in the morning, because being a, like a district station, we used to get calls all night. What is district station? Like, like the head station. Oh. Sort of like the major, like the, the sort of the headquarters for that particular geographical region. Mm-hmm. We got a call to, uh, to Luna Park. So we go down, and Luna Park, I used to go there as a young kid for birthday parties, and I have such... You know, strong memories of Coney Island. Did you ever go there? They had the rotor. I think so. Which was that wooden sort of thing, and you'd all hold on it and spin. All stuff like that. Just great fun. There's a there's an amazing chapter uh, from a great story you told set at Luna Park in Loose Units, the book, involving you and a senior officer finding a, a floater, a body that mm. had actually floated up, and your um, your partner, rather than deal with it, mm. got a big stick and pushed it back into... You That's know, right. So in- the water police would have to handle it. Handle it. Yep. Yeah, that was that was uh, pretty. It seems like Luna Park is kind of becoming a bit of a pivotal mm. area. Yeah, in your yeah, life. yeah. Well, I, you know, as I said, um, I really, really loved it as a kid. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. But this story is bloody fantastic. Okay. Um, so we made our way into Luna Park. Someone had called us and they felt there was one of the residents nearby thought they could see smoke issuing. That's a term, by the way. Smoke issuing yeah. is a term used for, um, at least in, in Sydney, the fire brigade. You know, if it comes, if a job comes over the radio, they'll say smoke issuing. And, and that's like, okay, it's on. Mm. So we rock up. We drove really, really slowly through um, Luna Park because it's, it, you know, it took the appliances right inside. Wow. And we drove right to the end where Coney Island is. We pulled up and we looked up and we could see the smoke coming off one of the buildings, <clears throat> but it was a nearby skyscraper we realized that it was just steam so we decided just to sort of um you know kick back and we're all standing around the back of the appliance and that's the first time i'd ever seen the drafting um those big black hoses that i told you about and they were actually they're permanently set up at luna park and they go into the harbor permanently set up that's how determined they were after the the famous ghost train fire mm where they had real problems getting water in, that that was never going to happen again. So they'd always have a constant, really, really great supply, i.e. Sydney Harbour. So I I was checking that out. And then we looked over to this big sort of a caged area. And inside that caged area that was attached at the back of um, Coney Island were the big big, um, firefighting systems for controlling all all the uh, the sprinkler systems Mm. within Coney Island. Mm. 
and there's what's called the main stop valve and they're generally they're like a huge wheel and they're generally um there's like a leather strap with a with a padlock and the station officer that, that's another thing that the listeners need to know is that whenever you'd go to any um building that we had a key cabinet at the fire station mm. and you would get out these um the keys for the premises you were going to go to because you didn't want to sort of kick doors down and smash windows so we effectively at every fire station every main fire station you've got the keys to every um building major building yeah within your area and they break a lead seal because it's high security mm. i mean can you imagine fire is going into this cabinet <clears throat> and just taking, you know, the, the keys to the local bank. Right. And off-duty just going in and opening everything up. I mean, God, you know, you can that, imagine. That's, so, that's a movie. Isn't that amazing? So yeah. all the keys. So that's pretty pretty high security. Shit. I won't say it's super high security. I mean, that's hot stuff coming through. Mm. Stolen keys. So um, we, I, well, we noticed that the, um, the leather strap had been cut. And what had happened is that someone had turned off the main wheel valve which effectively shuts the water supply down to the entire firefighting system right and then weirdly i walked over to this door and i opened up the door to coney island and all my mates are just sort of hanging around we're just chatting and um, i looked inside and they used to have these old-fashioned slippery slides like made of timber they were were built in the early early 1900s and they're historically very very significant yes and the entire northwestern corner all the the stairs all the slides everything was well and truly alight what major fire what yep coney island's on fire holy shit incredible then someone's cut the and someone's cut the water supply two so that there'd be no what yeah is this fucking is it is this Mm. arson fucking oath it is someone's oh well there were big problems there were they've always been major dramas because of the value of the land of lunar park wow and you know it's 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 but it's historically significant as well like that you know the big dipper was built in the 1930s it's Mm. an amazing place and um and it's a very it's a very very famous iconic place but developers have always wanted to build apartments and and you can you can put two and two together and surmise that um this particular night they'd come in cut the main um strap turned off the uh the main wheel valve Mm -hmm. so effectively what it means is that uh when the fire gets hot enough and bursts all the little um the bulbs the bulbs yes nothing happens there's no water there's no pressure there's no there's a tiny bit of water right a couple of buckets and then it's drained itself that's isn't that amazing so So that's that's a way um of sort of that's a good way to if you're an arsonist yeah is to go and i shouldn't be saying this really should i well i mean uh well i guess my problem is if you're trying to get away with this, surely, surely cutting the mains it makes it pretty obvious that it's arson. Surely it doesn't matter. You do that, then you set fire to the building, and then you piss off. Yeah. By the time the fireys rock up, everything's gone. The place is gone, and this is all t- timber inside. And it's historically these beautiful um, slippery slides. Um, we and look, it was just amazing. And but to see it alight, and then I've run back and screamed and shouted and yeah. and then we realised we've got a fire situation and we had to drag the hoses in and myself and a few mates with Kaber, you know, um, breathing apparatus. No, I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, it's called Kaber. Right. In in we went and we uh, we we put put it out. How long did it take to put out? Probably 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Yeah. But surely during that time, pr- like, 
historically significant things. There was damage to the um, to the things, but they could easily not easily, but they would have restored it, which they did. That's um, okay. So when you were done, okay, when you're done, you know, hosing something down. I know that's you know obviously oversimplifying, but have you done damage to it, given that it's old and that you've Mm, yeah yeah water damage yeah yeah. definitely. Um, but that's part of the you know the insurance companies come in and, and they because uh, fire is generally when we go into a fire, mm. um, what you do is uh, when you go to a fire you always go in with what's called a charged line, which means the right. the line is yeah. is charged but no water coming out. So you go in and then you try and find out what exactly is happening and yep. then you decide at that point okay we're going to release Probably. the water yeah. and we're going to uh, fight the fire. But there's also a special hose called a percolating hose that's used in bushfires. Because can you imagine what would happen to hoses when they're being dragged through bush that's alight? Mm, the hoses would burn and yes. melt and whatever. Mm. So you have these special hoses, and they're 38 millimeter hoses, and they're continually weeping. Oh, interesting. So the, oh, now I've seen these. This is like a sl- it's like um it's almost like a ropey fabric and the and yeah the water is like oozing through yeah it's coming through and that's preventing them from being burnt that's as you drag them through the bush so really what clever what kind of a hose are you using at the lunar park well the, the opposite now what, is, what it's wh- the same diameter 38 mil or yeah. you or if it's a massive fire you, you might use 70 mil mm-hmm. so these are delivering either a 70 millimeter mm-hmm. solid core of water yeah or a 38 mil so and then the but here's here's a funny thing um not that often, but occasionally you hear, you, we'd hear about it in the fire brigade where fireys would accidentally bring a percolating hose into a beautiful house that was worth, say, $10 million, oh. and it turned out that it was just the microwave on fire and or they'd... something really, really minor that could be put out with, with the blanket. And then you look behind and there's this percolating hose being dragged through some mansion... And the, of course, the water damage is you know frightening, yeah, horrifying. Okay, so once you've just to drag us back to Luna Park because I find this fascinating. Once you've put the fire out, what happens? Are you the first and last responders in a fire? Because I know in the police, you know, there's first responders, then they rope it off, and there's forensics, and there's detectives, and there's photographers. But with the fire brigade, you're you're there putting the fire out. What happens next once you've once you put the fire out at Luna Park and you've seen that the that the main line was cut mm. that the leather strap was cut? Mm. Yep. What do you do? Do you file a report? Do you talk to someone upstairs? Get onto the police straight away. Okay. Bring okay. the police. They all come in. Yeah. And then we 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 are there for a very very specific reason yeah. is to put out the fire. Mm-hmm. We then um, refill the first aid tank on the back of the fire engine. Yeah. Because you can never ever leave a job without that being full. Interesting. So that's one of the primary things. And you can either do it through a hydrant mm-hmm. or, or you can draft. However you get that water, it's got to get back into the fire engine before you leave. Now, in theory, you're going to go back to the station. But what happens if you're heading back and there's, and a, a, there's, a, there's a motor vehicle accident? Right. And Because um, you mentioned in, uh, in the uh, incident of you know, getting the ladder up to the, the poor guy who'd um, thrown himself off the building. And you mentioned that the tank was empty. Why was the tank empty at that point? Surely a fire engine is always full no, of no, water. No, no, I didn't say that. Didn't you? No. No, never. You did? You said there wasn't water in it. Mm, did I? Yep. Oh, there was. Okay. Yeah, sorry. It's a misunderstanding. Okay. So, you know that... So- well, you don't know, but you're pretty sure that someone has been tampering no, or something. 100%. It was an arson. So, do you say <clears> that to the cops? No, you don't need to. Why not? Well, the station officer might. It's, it's, it's obvious. 
you know, that they, they've cut the, they've, they've, they've forced entry into this, into this caged area. Yeah. With, with bolt cutters, cut the lock, oh. cut the strap using a knife. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's amazing, but so simple. That's so strange. I, okay, so you've been a police officer and been called to a case at Luna Park. You went to Luna Park as a child, and now years later you're at Luna Park again putting out a fire. Now, what was it like for you to not be able to carry, to pursue that line of Detection and because you know what I mean, you can see you can see a problem. But as a cop, you would have chased that lead down. You would have made inquiries. You would have pursued it. Yeah. As a firefighter, you've got to bugger off. Did that That's feel right. weird? Um, it kind of felt. Look, you know, you don't want to piss off your boss, yeah. like the station officer. They're kind of the, uh, you know, they're, they're the sort of the demi the demigod on the on on the truck mm-hmm. on, the, on the engine, and you don't you, look. You just don't need to. He knows I'm an ex-police officer. Sure. You know, he's got to do it. He, he's the poor guy that has to go back to the station that night and do a massive report. Mm. One of the great things about being a fireman, at least when I was a fire, is that you had no paperwork. Ah. And that's great. Well, it'll burn for one. Yeah. So you just go in, you do what you got to do. It's very, very much first response, you know, get things under control, uh, make sure it's not going to reignite, and then and go. And, and you know, take all, all the gear that you've used, all the hoses, and then... You know, there are all sorts of things you've got to do when you get back to the fire station. You work as a team, and you've got to you've got to wash down all all the uh, the hose. You you hang them up on this massive thing called a hose whip. I've seen it. And you yeah. and you you know they dry and they. It's like a flagpole, right? Yeah, like a <clears throat> like a big flagpole. Yeah. And um, you know, you sort of you drag up these big hoses, and um, yeah, and 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 another thing about being a fireman is that at the station, you do all the station work, so all the cleaning, unlike the police force mm. where you were supposed to bring in professional cleaners, except for that guy at Mossman that used to get us to do all the, the work, and we never got anything for it. But yeah. in the fire station, you realise that it's a home away from home. Mm-hmm. You've got bedrooms, you've got kitchens, you've got common rooms, TVs. You know, it's it's, and you live with these these people. Um, they now do twenty four hour shifts, <gasps> so it's twenty four hours. It's it, and, and and it's it's a home away from home, and these people become your family. Yeah pretty full on when you went to the uh, when you came back sorry when you were heading back from that Luna Park fire how did you feel like how did you feel having like basically saved a landmark <clears throat> I was really really excited yeah. I thought I thought that was something really really tangible and um, something good and um, you know I, I began to realise that the job of a firefighter um, it's a very important job and um, you're working under um, a lot of pressure Um for those listeners that um, you know have done scuba diving, for example, you know if you when you go to put your tank on, yeah. it's incredibly, uh, it's involved. It's 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 um, you know you need to be sort of on on stable ground. You need to have your wits about you when you put all your scuba diving gear on. But can you imagine what it's like to put scuba diving gear on in the back of a high speed truck? that's flying and hurtling around corners and you are trying to get all your gear on and once you've got your gear on you need to test it whilst you're still heading and quite often you'll see or when I was a fireman one thing that I used to love doing because there were always two firemen in the back of the engine Mm -hmm. you'd you'd both on both sides of the fire engine have your you'd stick your head right out the window and the reason you do that I'm not sure if it still happens but we used to do it so you could smell the air and then you could smell the smoke, yeah. and and based on what you smelt, that gave you a very very strong idea about the type of fire you were heading to. Explain. 
well, in terms of the makeup of the, the smell, was it a chemical fire? Was it a bush fire? Mm. Was it a, a bin light? Was it, was it a house fire? All the different types of fires have got different smells. Even today, when I wake up in the mornings, if there's been a fire nearby and I walk out of our apartment in Sydney, mm-hmm. I can pretty well tell instantaneously, just from the smell of the residual smoke from a fire that's occurred in the last, say, well, overnight, I can tell what type of fire it was. So what was it like for you walking outside to see Sydney, you know, dense with smoke from the bushfires? <clears throat> well, it was, um, I'd, you know, it was full on. I'd, I'd never seen anything quite like it, what, right. we've, what, what we've experienced. Um, but I try not to. Look, I'm very much aware of what's been happening over the last few months, but I'm also aware, um, like I get up every morning and drive to Manly from um, Rushcutters Bay, mm. and so I'm on the road about, well, before six, and then as I'm driving over to Manly every morning, Monday to Friday, to do my run, I'm listening to the news. And then a few mornings ago, I'm just listening to the same bad shit day after day after day. And I really think that... I think that the people in this country are really... It can have a real effect on the national psyche. Mm. And um, I think we need to be aware of that. Yeah, morale's a very big thing. You know, I mean, everyone's suffering kind of news... Uh, what's it called? It's like... You know, people are just overdosing on all the horrible stuff mm. that's happening. The thing I like about the Fire Brigade, and you know, listeners to the show and people who've read the book will know that I briefly considered enrolling in the police force because I thought it was a very immediate way to actually help people. And I don't know if I ever told you this, and this might be the first time, but I also briefly considered joining the Fire Brigade. Mm. No, I didn't know Very, that. very briefly, yeah. <clears throat> it, was, it was relatively recent, actually. It was, um, you know, when, uh, halfway through... Four years into my stay in Melbourne, so I was, you know, in my, like, early 30s. Mm. And I just thought, maybe there's something I can do to just immediately solve problems in Mm. a very tangible way. Yeah. And I think the thing about, you know, paramedics and firefighters is that there is a a crisis in progress and you can just go and fix it. But the thing that really gets me about the Luna Park story is that you were basically ready to leave. And you open a door and there's the problem. And you fixed it and you saved the thing. Quick question. Did you ever get, like, lifetime free passes to Luna Park for this? No, I didn't, but I wish I had of. Well, if anyone's listening who works at Luna Park... Yeah, that would have been nice because I I do do love Luna Park. And if you could backdate them, that'd be great. Mm. Yeah. Because we have a Luna Park in Melbourne. It's not quite... No, it's definitely not. It's not the same. No, definitely not. Well, you know, I'm glad Luna Park's okay. I'm Mm. I'm glad you're okay. And um, thank you for indulging us and, uh, you know, skipping ahead a little bit and telling some really cool stories from your time later in the fire brigade. Mm. Next week, even more cases from the files of Loose Units, hot stuff coming through. Thank you so much for the reviews and the ratings and all the love. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, by the way. It's facebook.com forward slash Loose Units. We will see you next week for more cases from the case files of the files that dads put in cases. Is that all right? Yeah. Brilliant, Paul. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.